0: campuses that are joining us via live stream tonight, and we have the incredible privilege of hearing from Sheila Walsh tonight, and Sheila is um, a Bible teacher. She loves to make the Bible practical, and she shares her own story of how God brought her out of the lowest depths of her life, and she sold more than 5 million books, amazing, and she's the co-host of the TV program Life Today. So it's such an honor to have her tonight. She comes to us tonight from Dallas, Texas. So would you please help us welcome Sheila Walsh? Thank you so much. Thank you. I just, I want to thank pastors Becca and Rob. Thank you so much for hosting. My husband, Barry, is with me. Barry, why don't you stand up and wave? You know you want to. You've got that new jacket on. <laughs> but it truly is an honor to be here with you. I'm just so thrilled. And for those of you watching in from the other campuses, you look lovely, really <laughs> lovely. I am maybe new to some of you, so I thought I would perhaps show you a couple of photographs of my family. Um, my husband Barry and I have one son. His name is Christian, and he is 22. I think we have a photo. Yes, that's our son. He is just gorgeous <laughs> inside and out. He just is, is such a joy to be a mom. I mean, it's just the. And when you have a, a son who isn't just a good son, but who loves Jesus and loves people. There's just nothing greater. Well, we also have two daughters. Let me show you a photo of our girls. (laughs) Yep, they look just like their father. (laughs) I've been really praying for this night. I've been asking God for to break through in a way that I wouldn't even have the wisdom to ask for. Because I feel as if we're living in different days. You know, we're living in challenging days. But I believe that there's a rumble going on. I believe that God is moving in the hearts of his daughters. And, and I'm praying tonight that for some of you, you'll catch a glimpse, perhaps for the first time, of who you really are and how much God loves you. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever thought, and this is really just for those of you who are over, how many of you are over 30 Okay, this is for you girls. <laughs> have you ever thought that you wish you could go back and talk to your 21-year-old self? And what you would say to her? Well, I, I had too, so I wrote it down. I wish I could take my 21-year-old face in my hands and tell her, it's okay not to be okay, I promise. Would she have believed me? I don't think so. She was determined to get everything right. It started with a photograph. I was cleaning out drawers the other day and found an old photograph under a roll of Christmas paper. I sat down on the sofa and studied the picture. I'm in a white dress and a graduation gown, 21 years old, graduating from seminary. My hair is short and dark. Apparently, that's my natural color. I said to my hairstylist recently, do you think I should go back to my natural color? He said, you no longer have a natural (laughs) color. Well, there you go. I'm smiling, confident, ready to take on the world for Jesus. My heart aches. There's so much I'd like to tell her. Moisturize your neck. You'll thank me later. (laughs) No, not really. If I only had 10 minutes, I would cut to the chase. I'd let her know this will not be the life she imagined. I'd tell her that she will disappoint people and they will disappoint her, but she'll learn from it. I'd let her know that she'll fall down over and over again, but rather than understand the love of God less, she'll get it more. I'd let her know that her heart is going to break, but she'll survive And it'll change how she sees people. Not as causes to be saved, but as people to be loved. I'd let her know that sometimes the night will get very dark, but she will never be alone. Even when she's absolutely convinced that she is. I often think when I get a privilege like an evening like this and this wonderful sisterhood event. And by the way, do go ahead and sign up. Lisa Turkist is brilliant. She's one of my dear friends and you will, it will be a night to remember. So go ahead and grab your spot before they're all gone. But anytime I get a chance to stand up in front of, of my sisters, you know, of God's beautiful daughters, I have this overwhelming thought of, I am the least likely person to ever have stood on a platform and talked about anything. Never mind the redemptive love of God. But one of the things that I've learned through my life is this. Your history does not determine your destiny in Christ. Your history does not determine your destiny in Christ. You can probably tell by my accent that even though we live in Texas, I didn't start there. I was born on the west coast of Scotland. Yep, you were right. <laughs> And all my family still live there. I'm the only one who's in in America. And I was born in a little fishing village. And I was born into a family where I had a mum and dad who loved Jesus. Now, that wouldn't be unusual in most places in America. But I don't know if you know this. Do you know that less than 6% of the whole population of Scotland go to church? And that's not saying that they all love Jesus, but there's still 6% that simply, they go to church. So to be born into a family where my mom and dad didn't just go to church, they loved Jesus was such a gift. I had um, an older sister, well, I, st- I still do, <laughs> I don't know why I said it like that, but I have, I have an older sister and she's kind of what every mother hopes for when you have a girl. You know, She liked to wear all those sticky outy dresses and ribbons and... And I was a tomboy, so I just adored my dad. I thought there was nobody like him. He was tall and handsome, and he had the most beautiful singing voice. In fact, when I was home in Scotland two years ago for my mum's memorial service, there's an old gentleman I'd never met, and he came up to me and introduced himself, and I said, um, were you a friend of my mom's, sir? And he said, oh no, Lassie, I was a friend of your dad's. And he told me that he gave his life to Christ one night listening as my father sang. There was such an anointing on his voice. So I just thought my dad was as good as it gets. And then I had a baby brother and it was getting close to Christmas. And the only thing, the only thing I wanted for Christmas was a dog. How many dog people do we have? My people, I love you. How many cat people, bless your heart. Nope, I love cats. We just bought, we just bought our son a beautiful cat. He calls him Magnus the Magnificent. A lot for a cat to live up to, but there you go. And I said to dad, do you think there's any way I could get a dog for Christmas? He said, honey, your mom's got three of you under six. You know, maybe next year. I was like, oh, dad, please. A wee dog. A three-legged dog. Anything. (laughs) So he said, okay, leave it to me and I'll see what I can do. So um, it's getting closer and closer to Christmas, and my sister and I are in bed in our pajamas. And my dad came in and said, Okay, I have an early Christmas gift, and it's alive. And he asked us both to close our eyes and hold out our hands. Well, my sister wouldn't do it, but I immediately did it. And my dad put something in my hands that ran up the sleeve of my pajamas. And I thought, I don't know what that is, but it's got a tail, and I'm giving it a name. And it turned out to be a little wiener dog, a little dachshund. Yes! Beautiful little dog. We called her Heidi. And it, it was just one of those, every time I tell the dog's name, I keep forgetting not to say the dog's name, somebody always nudges the girl beside her and said, she called her dog the same name as you. So I do apologize for that. But have you ever been in a season in life when it just feels as if everything is Perfect and then suddenly out of nowhere. It's kind of like, do you remember the movie, The Wizard of Oz? Do you remember the bit right at the beginning, before, they, um, before Dorothy is transported into Oz, when she's standing looking out at that bleak landscape? You remember the song she sings? Somewhere over the rainbow There's a place where every dream that you dare to dream come true. Well, What Dorothy didn't know was it wasn't a rainbow heading for her. It was a tornado. Have you ever been there? Just out of nowhere? Something slams into your life and changes the landscape forever. You didn't sign up for it. Nobody asked what you thought. Well, that's what happened in our home. By the next morning when I woke up, my mom and my dad were not in the house any longer. My father had had a massive cerebral hemorrhage. And he was in intensive care and not expected to survive. But he did. And he survived enough that he was able to come home. He made enough of a recovery. But he was paralyzed down his left side. And he never, he lost all his words. He never learned to speak again. But I thought, well, that's okay. You know, I'm just going to learn my dad's new language. He could make noises. And so I thought, I'll just try and work out what he's trying to say, which worked. Until it didn't anymore. And his anger started in little ways. And until the very final day, it was only, he only took his anger out on me. I would walk past his chair and he would slap my face or he would spit in my face, or he would grab hold of my hair and pull out a handful. And as a child, I just thought, I need to try harder. I'm making my dad mad. But the last time I ever saw my father alive, I was sitting by the fire playing with my dog And she did something strange. I'd never seen her do this. She started to growl. And the hair on the back of her neck stood up. And I turned just in time to see that my dad was about to bring his cane down on my skull. And I don't remember whether I pulled it or pushed him, but he lost his balance. And he he hit the ground hard and lay there just roaring like an animal. My mom had been in the kitchen, and when she heard the noise... She came in and she took my brother and my sister and I and she locked us in a room while she dialed 911. As I said, we lived in a small fishing village. It wouldn't have taken more than four or five minutes for help to get there, but it felt like an eternity. I remember looking through the keyhole in the room where we were and I could get flashes of seeing my dad hit my mom's head up against one wall and against another. And I thought he was going to kill her and we wouldn't be able to help her. Took five men... To carry my dad out of the house that day and he was taken to what was called in those days our local lunatic asylum it's what you call a psych hospital these days he was 34 years old but because he had become increasingly violent they placed him in the maximum security ward but all the other men in there were in their 70s and 80s and completely lost touch with reality so my mum talked to my dad's doctor and said could you perhaps put frank in a unit with some younger men which they did but it was a less secure unit and my dad escaped and they searched for him through the night and they found him in the morning he had drowned himself in the river that runs through our town and in those days you didn't take children to a funeral or to a graveside. My only vague memory is of my mom coming home in a black dress with a black hat on. And she took every single picture of my father off the walls and off the table. And she put them in a little suitcase, which she locked. And she pushed it under her bed. And we never mentioned his name again. I think we know so much more now about how to help children process grief. I think my mom thought, if Sheila wants to talk, I'll let her start the conversation. She had no way of knowing The question that haunted me. What did my dad see in me that made him hate me so much? That last look in his eyes was one of absolute hatred. You know, I grew up with what I call an overwhelming sense of shame. Uh, Let me tell you how I define shame and how I differentiate between shame and guilt. Now, this is not a clinical definition, but I think if, what's your name? Lorenzia, oh, that's beautiful. Um, If I said something unkind to Lorenzia, I would feel guilty until I could sit down and say, please forgive me, that was all my fault. That was all me. So if guilt tells me I've done something wrong, shame tells me I am something wrong. And what do you do with that? You know, girls, it would be heartbreaking if we had time in here and in every other campus to to hear a little bit of every single one of your stories, because we all have a story. And perhaps what you suffered as a child was not physical abuse like mine. Perhaps we know in a crowd this size that many of you were sexually abused, which leaves such a smudge on your soul, even though you had nothing to do with it. Perhaps it was verbal abuse where you were told you were worth nothing and you'd never change. And somehow, we find ways to go on. We find ways to cope. We find some kind of mask to make it possible to go on. Sometimes, you know, it's like if you have these raw emotions, but you don't know what to do with them, you just kind of push them into the cellar of your soul. And I hope they'll stay there. But they leak out. So sometimes we use, um, the things we hide behind could be like food, too much or too little. I was flying a few weeks ago on a flight and flying on a flight. Yeah, I wouldn't be flying on a bus, would I really? No. <laughs> but I was sitting on the plane and the guy sitting beside me and then this lady got on and she was having a hard time getting down the aisle. She was quite large. And, and the, the man turned and said something really mean about her. And I turned and I looked at him full in the face, and I said, sir, we don't know her story. You don't know what happened to her. Maybe she feels like she needs to build a wall around herself to keep herself safe. He didn't talk to me after that. (laughs) So sometimes we'll use food, too much or too little. Sometimes we turn to alcohol, anything that just kind of takes the edge off. You know, it's just a glass of wine, it's just this, just kind of keeps things at bay. Or we turn to to drugs, prescription medication. Some even go to street drugs. I found the perfect place to hide. Christian ministry. You think about it. Who's going to say to me, put that Bible down or we're going to have an intervention? No more second kings for you, lady. (laughs) But God's the only one who knows whether we're serving out of pain or passion out of a calling or a wound so deep, we just don't know where else to hide. When I was 11, my mom took me to hear Scotland's only gospel group. They were terrible. (laughs) But what I do remember, I remember the guy at the end said something that shook me. He said, God has no grandchildren. He only has sons and daughters. And just because your parents are believers, doesn't mean you are. You get to choose for yourself. Now, a lot of people came forward that night. I could not move. I was so shaken by the thought that God might actually like to get to know me. So we went home and I tried to go to sleep and I couldn't. And I came back down and I said to my mom, do you know, is God open at the moment? And she said, what? I said, well, I just don't know what his hours are. I I wanted to go down to the front, but I was too scared. Do I have to wait till Sunday? And she said, nope. She assured me God was open 24 (laughs) seven. So I got down on my knees and my mom led me into a relationship with Jesus Christ. But she said something that would be good news to 99.9% of the population, but I heard it differently. She said, Sheila, not only is Jesus Christ your savior and you make him Lord of every area of your life, you have a heavenly father watching over you. And I remember so clearly at 11 thinking, wow, I've got one more chance to get it right. Whatever my earthly dad saw in me that made him hate me, my heavenly father is never gonna see. I am gonna be the perfect Christian if it kills me. And it nearly did. I went to seminary in London, then I came across to America. I worked with Billy Graham and some of his crusades. And I came home from this crusade, and there was a message on my answering machine asking if I could fly to Virginia Beach the following week for three days and co-host a program I'd never heard of. It was called The 700 Club. So I thought, well, I better watch it before I say yay or nay. (laughs) So, Because we don't have any Christian television, and I hadn't been in the States very long. So I'm flipping through the channels, and I find it. Now, at that point, I have short, spiky hair, and I wore leather. Well, I still kind of (laughs) do. I had short, spiky hair. So I'm watching the program thinking, whoa, I do not have the wardrobe for that. So I went to the mall, and I don't know if this store ever made its way to this part of the country. It was called Laura Ashley just think flowers, flowers, and more flowers. So I went into the store and I went straight up to the front and I said to the girl, I have an emergency. I need three Christian dresses and I need them quick. (laughs) She seemed to know exactly what I meant and she she brought them and I bought them. So I flew into Virginia Beach and I didn't meet Pat Robertson till five minutes before we were live across America. And you know, they showed us into the studio audience, got us all mic'd up and you know, this big studio cameras, studio audience, lights, and we sat down and they began counting down to we're live on air. Five, four, three. I have never in my life prayed more fervently for the return of Christ as I did that morning. <laughs> well, eventually, um, for the first 10 minutes, Pat was talking to a reporter in Washington, but then he turned and asked me a question. Have you ever had one of those moments where even as something's coming out of your mouth, you're thinking, no, (laughs) come back. Pat turned to me and he said, "Um, Sheila, welcome to the 700 Club. It's lovely to have you as a guest host this week. Now, I'd like to ask you a couple of political questions. He said, what is your perspective of the current situation on the West Bank? (laughs) My mind was a total blank. But unfortunately, my lips kept moving. And what I said was, I'm sorry, I'm with the Bank of America. Yeah, proud, proud moment, yeah. Fortunately, he thought I was trying to be amusing. And that day he and his wife took me out for lunch and he said, I really believe that you're the person that God has prepared. But here's the truth, girls. So I did that for five years. I sat beside Pat every morning and I would read when some days I got to end the show myself and I love to end with these words from the book of Romans. I don't know if you're a big Bible fan. It is my favorite book in the whole universe. If they discover other, other universes, it's still my favorite book. It's not just a book, it's alive. it's a love letter from God to you and me. And Romans chapter eight is about as good as it gets. It begins with no condemnation and ends with no separation. So listen to this. I would look into the camera and read these two verses and I am convinced From the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord but here's the truth inside I was still the same scared little broken girl who wouldn't let anybody get close to her in case you saw what my father saw do you know it's possible to be very well known and desperately lonely that's how I lived Anybody who worked at CBN at the Christian Broadcasting Network knew you can come into my office and tell me anything and it will never go further than the two of us on our knees at the throne of grace. But I would never have dreamt of reaching out for help because I believed that for God to keep loving me, I had to keep getting it right. I had to keep being perfect. I couldn't fail. I couldn't let God down I couldn't stand the thought of losing another father's love. But God's love is like an ocean. It's so much greater than our understanding. It is so much wider. It's so much deeper. It's so much higher. And God in his mercy set out to rescue me and I would never have signed up for the plan. You know, my mom used to tell me that her favorite scripture was that one from Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. She had it all over the house. And I used to say to her, Mom, I would just like to see the plans. If I could make a few suggestions, then I'll sign off on the plans. But one day, I had never heard of clinical depression. I knew you could have a bad day. But I'd never heard of clinical depression, but something had been building in me for years. But it was coming to, it was like I was living on top of a volcano and the rumble was getting louder and louder all the time. I would go to the ATM machine and couldn't remember my PIN number. I couldn't sleep, I couldn't eat. And I felt this overwhelming sadness that never lifted. And then one day I'm asking my first guest on the show a question and instead of answering it, she turned the tables on me and she said, Sheila, you sit here every day asking us how we're doing. How are you doing? And I wasn't expecting it and I didn't have time to pull up my wall and I did something I hadn't done in years. I literally crumbled. I started to cry sobbing and I couldn't stop. And eventually the TV director just threw to a commercial break and I took my microphone off and I walked out of the studio and I locked myself in my dressing room and as far as I was concerned my life was over if you've based your whole relationship with God on you getting everything right so that he could be proud of you and then you fall apart where do you go I called a friend of mine a guy called Henry Cloud And I said, Henry, I think I'm losing my mind. And he said, No, you're not, but you need some help and you need it quickly. And so by that evening, I was in the locked ward of a psychiatric hospital, exactly the same age as my father. I remember sitting in the car before I went in, knowing that those doors would lock behind me, just sobbing into my steering wheel. How did I get here? How did I mess up so badly? Finally, I went in and a young nurse took me to a room that would be my home for the next month. And she went through all my luggage, took away my makeup, you know, belt, anything, hair dryer, anything you could harm yourself with. I remember saying to her, I have no intentions of blow drying myself to death. (laughs) She was not amused. (laughs) And she said, someone will check on you every 15 minutes during the night. And I realized I was on suicide watch. How can you be on live Christian television in the morning and be in suicide watch at night? I didn't get in the bed. I took the blanket off the bed and I sat in the corner of the room with my head on my knees, and I literally felt as if I'd gone to hell. I've never felt so alone, so abandoned, so hopeless, so friendless in my life. But it's three o'clock in the morning. I had an encounter with an angel. I'm never aware of it happening before or since. But the person who came into my room at three o'clock in the morning—they didn't stay at the door. He walked all the way to where I was in the corner of the room, and he put this into my hands. It's something you'd give a child. It's a little stuffed lamb, and he placed it in my hand. And he didn't look like an angel. It looked like maybe a doctor going off duty. And he turned around and he walked to the door and when he got to the door, he stopped and he said this one thing, Sheila, the shepherd knows where to find you. The shepherd knows where to find you. Do you know that there is no hole too deep? There is no night too dark There is no place that you have gone that's too bad that the shepherd doesn't know where to find you. First morning, I met with my psychiatrist and I thought, I have to be careful here. These are tricky people. (laughs) And he said, "Um, who are you? And I said, "Um, Sheila Walsh. He said, no, no, I know your name, Sheila. Who are you? I'm the co-host of the 700 Club. He said, no, I didn't ask for your job title. I asked, who are you? I said, I have absolutely no idea. And he said, I know that, and that's why you're here. Do you know, girls, that sometimes God will take you to a prison to set you free? That's how much he loves you. That God will literally take you to a prison to set you free. Halfway through my time there, I wrote in my journal... I never knew you lived so close to the floor. So used to in worship, praising him and lifting his name high as we should. But let me tell you, I discovered the truth of Psalm 34. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. When it was just a week before I was going to be released and... My psychiatrist said, I'd like to put you on some medication. And I was like, no, thank you. And he said, okay, I'd be interested in your opinion on that. And I said, well, I don't want to go around drooling on myself and talking to some imaginary dog. And he assured me that those were street drugs, which they didn't sell. (laughs) And he helped me understand that there was just a lack of certain chemicals in my brain. And, And immediately I began, after two, three weeks, to feel... Not like a different person, but like myself. And the doctor said, "I would like you to take a trip out of the hospital before we release you. You can go to a mall, go to a movie." And I said, "No, I would just—I'd like to go to church. I don't care which denomination. If it's a Bible-believing church." So they sent me with a young nurse, and I sat in the very back row, just like lost. And I don't remember the whole message that morning. But I remember when it got to the end of the message, the pastor said this, some of you in here feel as if you're dead inside. You can almost hear them begin to heap the earth on top. And he said, but I want you to know one thing. Jesus is here. And you don't have to get yourself out of that hole. You simply have to call on the name of the Lord. And he will reach in and grab hold of you and pull you free. I had no idea what the traditions of that church were, but at the end, as everybody else was leaving, I ran to the front, and I lay face down in front of the cross. And the words of a hymn that my grandmother used to sing to me when I was just a little girl came back, but I understood them for the first time. Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. But these two lines in particular, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. And I finally got it. I'm not the good news. Jesus is. It's never been about you and I getting it right. It's about Christ making us right. You know, when I left the hospital and I'm walking across the parking lot to my car and my doctor called out the window and he said, Sheila, that's turned around and he said, who are you? I said, I'm Sheila Walsh, daughter of the King of Kings. Because that's who we are, girls. That's our identity. You're not a divorced woman. You're not a single mom. You're not overweight. You're not too thin. You're not too short. You're not too tall. None of those things are who you are. And you are not what happened to you either. Your history in Christ does not. Determine your destiny in Christ. Whatever you have walked through. I want to ask you something. When you walked in here tonight, if suddenly all your baggage became visible, I'm not talking about your pillow and your snacks. I'm talking about the stuff that you just pushed down in there. Secrets, the abortion, the affair, the disappointment, the anger, the unforgiveness. And the minute you walk through these doors, suddenly all your baggage becomes visible and you have to drag it to your seat. What would that look like for you? Maybe you'd be surprised by how much you're dragging through your life or realize how long you've been carrying it. But here's my question. If you saw it, Would you want to take it home? Or would you want to take Christ up on that offer of that glorious exchange? Last two verses in Matthew 11. Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I'm wondering, for some of you in here, maybe you don't actually really know Jesus personally. And maybe you say, well, I come to church, but wouldn't it be sad to know the building and not know the builder? I find myself more and more as I get older. You know, I gave my life to Christ when I was 11. I'm now 62. That's 51 years, I think, of the Lord's faithfulness. 51 years of falling down and him picking me back up again. 51 years of struggling to understand. And now, it's like, <laughs> I think my husband thinks I'm nuts. But sometimes when I get up in the morning, I just kind of want to go like, da da <laughs> Because I think God's so glad I'm up. <laughs> but that's how he thinks about all of you. And somebody said to me the other day, so do you still struggle with depression and I said well I still take medication and if you do do not allow somebody to shame you it's not your spiritual life it's your brain chemistry you don't say to a kid that fell off a swing you know get up and walk you know you take him to the hospital and somebody said do you still I said well I still take medication but I've rearranged the letters of depression said, what do you mean I said well you can take the letters and rearrange them and what it says is I pressed on and that's what I do every day. I press on to know Jesus more, to know his word, to pray. And girls, I just, I have such a heart that you would begin to, to, just get, to grasp hold of the fact that God knows your story. So when you came in and we said, um, with slight change of plan, we've decided instead of Sheila speaking, We're going to show a movie of your life, everything, everything you've ever said, everything you've ever done, the things you think, well, that's not really sin because I just thought about it. I didn't actually do it. But just pause for a moment. What would that be like for you if suddenly up on the screen was a movie of your life? How would that make you feel? The truth of the gospel is God has seen your movie and he loves you. You don't have to hide anymore. There's nothing that you have to hide from because God knows it all and loves you completely. You get to come as you are, not as you wish you were. That's the beauty of this. Up in Scotland, way up in the north, there's a little church up in the Highlands. And the pastor's been there for years. He's a darling man. And, but the elders met with him one night. and They said, you know, pastor, we just feel like We've not really seen many conversions in the last couple of months. And he said, Oh, but don't forget about wee Jimmy. Jimmy was the town troublemaker. I mean, it's a small Scottish village, and if anything went wrong, everybody knew Jimmy did it. Well, one night, Jimmy wandered into church while the service was still going on because he thought the offering plates would be kept at the back, and he was looking to help himself. But somehow, in the way that only God can, the Spirit arrested Jimmy. And he came in, and he sat, and he listened to the message. And that night, Jimmy gave his life to Christ. Well, about four weeks later, maybe, and Jimmy kept coming and kept coming. And it was an evening service, and Jimmy was sitting at the end of the row. And when the deacon was passing the offering plate, Jimmy said, would you put it on the floor? And the deacon said, no, no, son, just pass it along the row. He said, no, no, put it on the floor. He said, it doesn't matter. If you don't have any money, that's fine. Just pass the plate along. And Jimmy said, no, please, sir. Please, will you put it on the floor? So the deacon did. And Jimmy stepped in. I'm all in, Lord. I'm all in till it's all over. I don't have a lot to give you, but I'm all in. So girls, that's what I'm asking of every one of us to be all in for Jesus. But I'm also aware of the fact there might be one or two of you who don't know the Lord. So I'm just going to ask you to be open to whatever God might be doing in your life, even now to invite him. I, I would love the privilege of praying for you all. And in fact, let's, let's do that. Let's just pray together and see what God will do on all campuses. Father God, I love you and I love that you love me. And Father, my heart for tonight is for every single woman or man listening in, that by your Holy Spirit, you will wash our eyes for a second time. Help us to see ourselves as you see us. Help us to see you, because when we see you, everything changes. We open up our hearts we're ready for anything Lord we say come and speak to us come and be with us even now Lord here and in all the other campuses Holy Spirit will you move will you move in the, the way that only you can because when we hear your voice Things change. And we ask it in the powerful, beautiful, wonderful name of Jesus. And all God's girls said, Amen. Now I want to ask you something. I want to ask you, how sure are you of the love of God for you? Like, do you have some things that you think, well, if I hadn't done that, or or, I'll wait till I stop smoking, or I'll wait till I do this, and and then I'll come. None of us knows how long we have. You might live for another 50 years, but I wouldn't want you to live them without Jesus. Sometimes we can have a form of religion, but it's not life. There's nothing in this world that means more to me after worshiping and being with Jesus every day than seeing one sister come home. See, I believe that one of these days, the Lord's coming back and all of this will be over. There'll be no more sorrow, no more tears, no more death, no more cancer, no more divorce, no more diets. (laughs) Woo! (laughs) But seriously, and when we see His face, this will all have been worth it. Whatever you've walked through, however much heartache, don't think he doesn't know. And when we see his face, it will have been worth it all. But don't just be half in, be all in. So I'm going to ask if every head would be bowed and every eye closed, because this is a part of the evening that I live for. I just want to ask you, If tonight you felt, not my words, but you felt the Holy Spirit, you felt maybe your heart's beating fast and you just think, I don't know Jesus like this. And you would like to. I'm gonna pray a very simple prayer. Nothing special about my words. But scripture tells us that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. So in a few moments, I'm gonna pray this simple prayer. But while everyone has their heads bowed and their eyes closed, if tonight you just wanna indicate to me, Sheila, I want to be included in that prayer. I want to say with Jimmy, I'm all in. Would you just quickly raise your hand so I can see it? Yes, 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 at the back, yes, yes, ma'am, yes. Anybody else, just quickly put your hand up say, count me in. Yes. Yes. Anybody else? We'll wait for you. We're not in a hurry. There's nothing good on television. Anybody else over here? Hey, bless you all. What I would love you to do is would you all pray this prayer with me line by line so that those who are praying it for the first time don't feel like they're all alone. Let's pray, girls. This is the best part. Father God, Thank you for loving me. Jesus Christ, thank you for dying for me. I am a sinner and I want to be saved. I believe you're the son of God. I believe you died and I believe you rose again. So I just want to say right now, please forgive me. And I wanna tell you, I'm all in, in Jesus' name, amen. For those of you who've prayed that for the first time, there is a party going on in heaven and your name is on every one of the balloons.